Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Kia ora and welcome from RNZ National. Here's Our Changing World with me, Alison Balance. Professor Dame Anne Sarmond and her architect husband, Jeremy Sarmond, have three Queen Elizabeth II National Trust conservation covenants on their Gisborne property, as well as Longbush Covenant for a small patch of remnant forest and the Waikereru Eco Sanctuary Covenant for a large area of regenerating forest they have one that recognises the educational and public outreach activity of the Waikereru Trust. At its heart is a cluster of small buildings covered by a soaring roof known as the Welcome Shelter. We've also got a covenant around the Welcome Shelter uh, because that's, that was a pretty big project. In the 1769 garden, I think with Philip Smith and with Malcolm Rutherford from QE2 and and Graham Atkins from DOC, uh, who's a tohunga for these plants. The rare plants uh, from the East Coast that were collected by Banks and Solander from the Endeavour in 1769, I think it will become a nationally important garden in the long run. It's very young still, but it's already starting to look beautiful. 1769 is an auspicious date in New Zealand history. Captain Cook and the crew of the Endeavour made landfall at Gisborne, met local Māori, and Banks and Solander, the ship's naturalists, collected and scientifically named the first native New Zealand plants. Landscape architect Philip Smith from O2 Landscapes was tasked with designing a garden that will be one of the foci for the 250th anniversary celebrations of that first encounter. What you want to do, and kind of the guiding design idea or philosophy, was just create a series of impressions that they might have seen in 1769. Amazingly, Banks and Solander arrived on a day that Corfi was in full bloom, which, when you think about it, they travelled all the way across the world in a boat, and then they arrived here on the day when Corfi was in flower, which is one of our most spectacular flowering plants. So basically, they just saw yellow. So without getting all botanical on it, they just saw yellow. And in a sense, we just want to have a blaze of yellow. It doesn't actually matter about the botany because their eyes saw yellow. And one, But one of the other things that we took as a, a principle when we were designing it is they came all the way across the world, and to them, everything was exotic. And there's a danger with native horticulture and with conservation that we can kind of revere this word native too much that it, everything becomes a bit too familiar where there are, there's, there are no more discoveries to be made or, or it's just sort of like the familiar thing that you should do because it's native. And so we really wanted to take the idea of the native as exotic and so that's the idea that we've really pushed in the garden and that's why one of the first impressions you get here is a grove of a small tree that grows as a shadowy column. It's nationally threatened called Pittosporum obcordatum Heartleaf kohuhu, and they just grow as these weird shadowy columns. And it's just such a 
sort of strange, exotic kind of a grove to go into that integrates into the cauliflower grove. So what we want is we just want for people to walk through something and sort of and, and think, hang on, what's going on here? This this isn't what I thought um, a, a native garden should be. So they've got tiny little leaves. They're a classic divaricating plant, aren't they, with lots of twiggy leaves and all into, into growing into each other. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And they look unrecognisable compared to what people usually think of as a pittosporum. And they, um, they have scented flowers, but it, again, it's that shadowy column that they form. It's just purely that really peculiar form. And to walk through this grove of all of these shadowy columns, I think, it's just a, a, an eccentric experience. Now, there's a whole lot of long barrows of rocks ahead of us. Tell me about those. When you're going to be planting up and designing a garden like this, which in essence it's as much a park as a garden, if not more, a park, because that's how it's designed. We, we just want for people to be able to shove the picnic blanket out and, and um, have a nice day <laughs> without having to get too intellectual on everything and be told everything. So it's a park to spend time in, and then there are a whole bunch of cool plants, and there's, there's a story that comes with it. But... It takes quite a while for plants to grow. <laughs> and so it's all fine and well to say, yeah, in 20 years' time, these things are going to be big. But at the beginning, we wanted to have um, some kind of structure for the garden to hang off that's really quite strong and abstract. And again, we didn't really need for it to try and replicate something like Autari or some of the other really great native gardens. And so these kind of, they're almost... I hesitate to use the term kind of land art, but they're kind of they're more towards that where they've got a sculptural quality to them, and they um, demonstrate the certain forms that were in the the landscape prior to Cook arriving, and the thing that I find most interesting about them and that I really wanted to communicate was that Maori had very strict geometry on which their cultivations were applied. These pieces of geometry, they communicate how there are garden walls, ancient garden walls down at Palace of Bay that are centuries old. I love them. They're just these weird shadows in the grass now. So we've got these long rows going down the hill that mimic those garden walls down at Palace of Bay. And then we've got mounds that are in a formation that is like the number five on on a die, which the adjective's fairly perilous <laughs> to pronounce. <laughs> which is what? Uh, quincunx. But anyway, in this quincunx formation, which is what the kind of formation that Banks recorded while Spurring did drawings of Anoda Bay when they arrived there, and the cultivations on the hillside, there were mounds in this strictly geometric um, formation. So these were really well-tended gardens, and so we have utilised that formation uh, to make mounds out of which we're going to have native herbs, and many of them threatened. And more importantly than anything, it's the way in which they're laid out. It's a compositional element. Wait, what do you currently got growing out of the top of them? Some sprawly stuff. Mulembekia, pohuehue. And what I want to do is, if we can, from private land, um, <laughs> go, go nip a bit of Pohuehue, um, uh, Mulembekia complexa, 
uh, that's that's got loads of butterflies on it, then and we just shove them underneath there, just a few stems. Then we'll get the eggs. And the idea is we just we just want to have clouds of copper butterflies. But also down the bottom, we've got Matagari. And uh, that particular form of Matagari, a friend of mine with a really great nursery down at Nelson, he <clears throat> grows that form, which is from Boulder Bank at Nelson. Now, Banks and Solander on the first day they were ashore. Lots of people in New Zealand, especially high country farmers, will be familiar with Matagari as an inland plant, but it's also coastal, and it grew as far north as near Auckland. Um, and they collected it first day behind the beaches. But the coastal forms of Managari, they tend to be sprawling. So they're not the they're not the kind of things that get up to three metres. This one's a, a low-growing form from Boulderbank. And um, so as part of the 1769 story, the fact that they collected Managari from the beach just for anybody who's into their natural history is just a bit odd, really. Botanist Graham Atkins is a Department of Conservation ranger with a deep knowledge of local plants and a knack for finding the rare and unusual He's been pivotal in choosing and supplying plants for the 1769 garden. Plants have always been a passion of mine, and so to be able to be paid to do what I like to do sort of doesn't get much better. Now, we're in the 1769 garden, and there are some really special and interesting plants planted on these rocky mounds. Can you talk me through some of them? The idea of these um, the plants in the 1769 garden is pretty much self-explanatory they were the plants that were around when captain cook and the crew from the endeavor showed up and um they were the the plants that they collected from um gisborne uh, anoda bay and Tolaga bay nearly 250 years ago so um we've got a lot of the smaller plants the herbie herbie looking plants that have been planted into these mounds and um with my um, good friend philip um, smith he's the landscape architect this is all his dream and um I'm just wrapped to be included in all this by travels with my job, knowing where all these um, plants are that, that they collected all those years ago. So, yeah, I'm just glad to be part of it. So this tumbling mass of green here with the little pink flowers, that's a native geranium? Yep, geranium salandrii. Once upon a time it must have been really, really common, common as grass probably. But um, in this day and age with all the introduced plants and um, grasses, they, um, and um, animal pests, um, the biggest threat to, the, to the, uh, our native geraniums are from rabbits and hares. And they dig up, dig up the bulbs and eat the bulbs and so finish the plants off. They're quite up, often um, up on steep bluffs and stuff where, you know, hares and rabbits and goats and deer can't quite get around to finish them off. That's the same story with the kakabi ground here as well? Exactly, said to say exactly the same story. Um, most of the remaining wild kakabi plants that um, that I manage, they're all up on um, pretty steep um, steep sites, and I, I don't think that's because that's their favourite habitat. It's just that that's their where they've been forced to, with all the animals that we've introduced. So the steep sites are their refuge now. Well, let's just walk around these mounds. These this beautiful greeny, coppery wiry plant in front of me, what's that? It's um, Caprosma acerosa. Its um, preferred habitat was um, um, in the dunes, so um, it likes it at the back of the dunes, so it's the probably the first of our tree species that when, um, when forest starts to, to develop behind the dunes, this is usually the first one that um, pops up, so Caprosma acerosa. So it's got really flattened, almost pine needly like leaves, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and that that'll be an, an adaptation to the habitat that it grows. So, um, wind blasted sand, salt spray, not a very place, not a very good nice place to live. But through, through having the small leaves and the and flat to the ground, it's all about conformity. You dare not poke your head up above the rest. And what about this one over here that looks? From a distance, it almost looks like a lavender, you know, like a, one of those really fine lavender bushes. This is a real um, personal favourite of mine. This is old Wallenbergia grisolenta. That's um, uh, its common name is a harebell. And um, it's got this time of the year, it just starts to flower. So we're lucky to have the lavender blue flowers on it. And um, they look like little stars. They almost seem to, when the, the plant is, ends up in massive flowers, and you can't really see the, the stems or the stalks that the flowers um, grow on, they, um, it looks like they're floating. And there's a much bigger leafed one on the, on the mound next door which almost looks it almost looks more weedy Yeah, it's, um, we're lucky that today here, this is Sinecio Banksii and he collected um, Banks and um, Solander collected this one from Anoda Bay nearly 248 years ago and uh, um, I can happily report that um, there's still a Still growing in at Anoda Bay, up on a steep um, coastal bluff. So they're still hanging there to this day. So which is quite surprising. That's amazing, and it's just got buds opening. So it's going to have some real, real yellow flowers when they open. They're um, a member of the daisy family, and so when you when you see the flowers open, you you can see the affinities to the da- the other daisies. So yeah, so it's one of the first plants that Banks got named actually named after him. So, Sanicio Banksia, it's a beauty. So, who's this other one? There's another one over there that's got one yellow flower on the top. Yeah, this one is um, Sontras Kirkii. That's um, our native puha. All the puhas that we eat now, talking about um, us as Māori, all the puha we eat now, they were all um, accidental introductions when they brought the, past- the grass seed over to sow in the hills. Whereas this one here is the the species of puha that's um, endemic to this country. So its name is Sontius Kirkii, and um, I've got heaps of them growing around my house. And so, you know, they, they reckon they, they introduced puhas were a lot sweeter, but I beg to differ. You know, this is the, the puha that was, you know, from this country. And, I, you know, I might be a bit one-eyed, but um, I favour it. And it's a lovely plant. Graham says it's just the beginning for the 1769 garden. He has plans to introduce many more plants, especially short-lived ones just in time for the 250th celebration of Cook's first encounter with Māori in two years' time. What I like the most is it's going to be an educational resource, you know, for our plants and, and the, the various threats they, they face. Because um, I, work in, I work in the coalface of conservation, when you work there, you realise the, the struggle that a lot of our native things face. And, and um, once the, the, the threats that make our, our plants rear become a lot more common, well, I, I, I don't think myself, personally, I don't think there's going to be a lot of um, flora and fauna going uh, much further into the future. Sad to say. No, so yeah, back to the educational side of things. So there, there's hope there. Thanks, Graham. That was Graham Atkins from DOC, and we also heard Philip Smith from O2 Landscapes. Thanks for listening. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on November the 16th, 2017. You can find us on the web 
at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld and on Twitter and Facebook as RNZ Science. Subscribe to our podcasts at Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes and Radio Public. And another RNZ podcast series you might like to try is Pants on Fire, the Fipper's Guide to Lies, Liars and Lying, and try saying that fast. Bye for now. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.